If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to pray. <laughs> and I have laughed all week long as I have thought about, we didn't plan this. We just happen to be, we go through books of the Bible here at Four Points. We just happen to be in chapter 7, these seven verses today, on Mother's Day, getting to talk about conjugal rights within marriage. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You really can't make this stuff up. I've been laughing all week. God has a sense of humor. Let's read it and let's pray. Now concerning the matter about which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are good. We are thankful for a room full of people who love you, that you've called together by your name and for your purpose. That is why we are here. Lord Jesus, to worship you, to enjoy you and your presence, and to learn from you. And Father, I pray that those things happen as we study this passage of your holy word. All scripture is God-breathed, including 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Teach us and may we grow. It is in Jesus' name we pray and every Christian said, Amen. Amen. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Now remember, the first six chapters have been really about two things. Other than Paul introducing himself and grace and peace to you, Corinthian church, and, and after he uh, shares a short prayer of thanksgiving, how thankful he is that these are a saved people gathered together as the church in Corinth. It's important that God's people gather together as the church in the cities in which we live. We are one global church, but we meet locally in the areas in which we live. We are God's people. He is the head, and we are his body in the world. Amen? Paul is thankful for this church's existence. He knows as, as messed up as they are, as many things they're doing uh, in error, God, Paul knows these are his, God's people, not his, Paul's people, but Paul knows they are God's people. He has sensed the Holy Spirit upon them. They are not perfect, but they are saved by the grace of God. There's only been two issues after that, thanks, that prayer of thanksgiving uh, in, in the first, from chapter one all the way through chapter six. The first big issue is this. 
There should not be divisions among you. Paul has, for three chapters, laid out this case. And even into chapter 6, uh, with, with the two, uh, the Christian people using the state to, to sue one another because they can't figure out how to come together and, and solve their differences. Right? There should be no divisions. We are, we should be the most unified people on the face of the planet. Doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter where we come from, doesn't matter what traditional background. One of the things I love about Four Points is there's a bunch of people in here from Catholic backgrounds. There's a bunch of people in here from Presbyterian backgrounds. There's a bunch of people in here from Pentecostal backgrounds and uh, Methodist backgrounds and Baptist backgrounds and Episcopal backgrounds. Aren't you impressed that I know so many denominations? We come from all over the place. So how does this work? And why doesn't it work everywhere? Gospel center, what we focus on Jesus and we can all agree in Christ Jesus. He saved us, amen? Jesus brings people together. So there shouldn't be any divisions. The other big issue and the only other issue that Paul has spoken about in the first six chapters was sexual immorality. And he uses the word porneia, which means anything and everything outside of God's design for male and female coming together in a lifelong committed relationship that he calls marriage. And guess what? We don't get to redecide or redefine what God calls marriage. He's already defined and told us his will and his purpose for man, woman, in the context of human sexuality and family, and it's marriage. We don't get to redefine it. He's spoken against the guy who's got his arm around his father's wife. Get that guy out of here. He's talked about adultery and homosexuality, how those are unacceptable and part of the sexual immorality that he's talking about. He's talking about temple prostitutes. Stop going to see the temple prostitutes of Aphrodite, Christian men. And so now, and none of that they wanted to hear. Paul has heard this stuff's going on, and so he's just hammering out, stop doing these things. Now in chapter 7, he says, now, about the things that you did want me to speak into. <laughs> you did write and asked me some questions, and I do want to speak into those, so let me speak into those now. Concerning the matters about which you wrote, now notice the quotation marks. Paul is quoting from something that they have sent him uh, that they have a question about. There are people in this church who are saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now concerning this, I need to speak to you about what you're saying. People in the church, because of the rampant sexual immorality, there's always that group. There's always that group where, where the, if the pendulum's over here, they don't want to bring it back to the middle, a place of balance, moderation, doing things God's way. They want to swing the pendulum all the way over to the far other side. How many of you? There's that person in your family. Right? It's not just we need to correct behavior. It's a, we need to go way past there are people in the church, because of the rampant sexual immorality, who are saying nobody should have sex at all at any time. <laughs> what a miserable group of people. Right? And we know the people. Right? We know the 
Oh, you know why the Baptists don't have sex? They're afraid it's going to lead to dancing. <laughs> Somebody told me that in first service and I had to repeat it. Sorry. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Right? We know these people. The Bible refers to it as asceticism. You know, there's some people who don't believe in any law, anything God says, and they think we can just do whatever we want and live. How, those are antinomian people. They, they go far into sin so that grace can abound. But there's another group of people, the ascetics, the self-righteous people is the best way to describe them. They want to be so set apart and so uh, uh, non-identified with cultural norms that they swing way far out and don't believe in any kind of pleasure, uh, want to be as holy as they can possibly be. And listen, if you've never had a bout with self-righteousness, you might have not looked in the mirror hard enough. I remember when God exposed my own self-righteousness to me. You know, when we get saved, it's easy to stop smoking, drinking, cussing, chewing, right? All the stuff. It's easy to stop that stuff. And we think we're doing really good. But what we don't see a lot of times is the inner heart stuff. It took a year and a half, two years into my Christian walk before, before God revealed my self-righteousness to me in the mirror. Because I had stopped all this and I was doing all this. And man, I loved, I was sincere as a young man. I loved Jesus. I was at a Bible study every night of the week. If there wasn't a Bible study happening, I started one. That's who I was. Uh, and something ha- began to happen in my heart as I began to go, I'm doing all this stuff because I love Jesus. Why don't, why don't they love Jesus as much as I do? Why didn't they come to Bible study? Why aren't they uh, in the choir this morning? Why didn't they come to Sunday school? Right? I'm doing all this, and I started looking at other people. They don't do this, so I must love God more. It's very self-righteous. It's very works-based. It's very self-focused, which is why we call it self-righteousness. I'm doing all the right things. I actually believed and I've told some of you who have been around a long time, you remember this story, uh, but most of you are new, so you can hear this story for the first time. I actually believed that I was so good that I loved Jesus more than everybody else. I actually believed that when I stood at the great white throne judgment in that line of people, everybody's going to be judged by the Lord, amen? And Jesus is up on the throne, sheep, sheep, goat, goat, get out of here, goat, sheep, goat. I actually believe when it was my turn and I stood before the Lord, he was going to stand up from his throne. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it's sad. But I, I literally, he was going to stand up and he was going to come down and give me a big hug. Like, you were better than the rest of them, son. I'm so proud of you. Right? This is that spirit. Right? Jesus calls this sin, and we don't even want to get close. We want to get so far away, not even married people should have sex. Asceticism. I want you to look at some examples. Turn with me to um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5, because this is not a new sin. It's a dangerous sin. It's hard to see sin in the mirror. 
But when God exposes it, we should do what we do for all other sins. We should repent and live this life that God has given us. Man, God is a good God. And there is a lot of, you know, so many Christians walk around, who oh, can't do anything fun. God is a God of joy. In heaven, wine is going to flow like a river. It's, right? I, I used to hate uh, growing up in church when the, the preacher would say, okay, wait till we get to heaven. It's just going to be one long church service. As a kid, I was like, that is terrible. I hate church now. I don't want to be in church forever. But that's bad theology. Heaven is going to be a celebration, a great union of, of God's people, his bride, joined to him for eternity. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the table is going to be set with all kinds of meats for all you vegetarians. The choicest meats. It's good. People turn. It's like they want to suck every ounce of joy from life from other people. Because that's what you're supposed to do if you're a Christian. Asceticism. Listen to this. Paul writing to Timothy, who he has sent to Ephesus to be a pastor there and to train other leaders in the church so they can be a good church that represents Christ well. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. What does it mean to depart from the faith? Does it mean, oh, we've gone, you know, we believe dancing was wrong for a little bit, but we just saw the new version of Footloose and we're back to dancing. That's not departing from the faith. Kevin Bacon, even in the first, he quotes the Bible. Nobody remembers that? Okay. <laughs> departing from the faith is to take your eyes off of Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. Christianity, every other religion in the world is about works. What we do to make God happy with us. Christianity is the exact opposite. It's what Christ has done. When you take your eyes off of Christ and his gospel, you depart from the Christian faith. There are, in the New Testament and in today's culture, why do we have a thousand denominations? All right. I have been burdened walking through the beginning of 1 Corinthians, all the division that people bring into the church. Because we've seen small pieces of it here at Four Points. People get upset about the craziest things. We just had a family left because the, one of their kids wanted to get baptized, but they couldn't explain the gospel. So we said, hey, they need to wait until they can explain the gospel. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. People get upset for the, the silliest things. We're just, we're just trying to help. We want to make sure people get baptized for the right reasons. <gasps> I've been mourning all these, you know, somebody reads some uh, verse in the Bible. You know what says? Jesus reclined at the table. I'm getting rid of my table and chairs. We're going to be Bible people. The pastor has table and chairs in his house. Uh, we're leaving this church. Everybody that wants to, we're just going to set our dining room with a bunch of rugs and mats. And we're going to do it the way Jesus did it. Let's go start a new church. 
adventures and missing the point. Eyes on Jesus. Let's not depart from the face. Let's stay unified in Christ and stop dividing over silly ascetic things. It's self-righteousness that causes us to say things like, youth groups aren't in the Bible. This church has a youth group. We're out of here. I mean, let's just sell the building and buy a lake so I can preach from a boat. That's what Jesus did. <laughs> it's self-righteousness disguised as holiness. People think it's piety. It's not. It's sin. When you bring divisions, when you break up God's family, it's sin that needs to be repented of. Some are going to depart. Devoting themselves to. Did you know Satan knows the Bible really well? He knows it better than most humans. He didn't know it better than Jesus, though. Amen? He tried to twist Scripture to, to trick and deceive Jesus, but Jesus knew the Scripture better. I mean, he's God. He wrote, the, he spoke the Scripture into existence, so he knew it better and was able to defend himself in his wilderness fasting and praying. Every doctrine that would cause you to divide, that would cause you to depart from your eyes being on Jesus Christ and making religion about something else, man-made works, is nothing more than a deceitful spirit and the doctrine of a demon. That's what the scripture teaches. And people twist this word in so many ways, and, and God's church, why can't we stand up to the milieu of, of Gnosticism and darkness that is engulfing us at this moment in our country? Because the church is too divided to. It hurts my heart. Verse 2, through the insincerity of liars, whose consciences are seared. What are the kind of things these people do? They forbid even marriage. I have never understood why the Catholic Church won't let their priests get married. I mean, God said marriage is good. God loves marriage. He begins the Bible with a marriage. That's how much God loves marriage. And the Catholic Church has burned in their own passions and allowed Satan to come in and sexual immorality to be rampant because they just won't, they forbid marriage. Why? Asceticism. Self-righteousness. Eyes off the gospel. It happened then. It still happens today. I mean, most Christians you talk to what, what, what's, how's the conversation go? Don't do this, don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. The only don'ts we should not do are what God specifically says, like sexual immorality. Everything else should be enjoyed within moderation as Scripture teaches. Man, God gave us life to live and to be happy and to be fruitful and to have joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. Are there going to be hard times? Yeah. And weeping is going to endure in moments, but the sun always comes up in the morning. And if you're struggling in the room this morning, you don't know how you're going to go on. Listen to me. The sun always comes up. Night is never forever. Trust in the Lord this morning. 
And some are going to try to get you off the path. They're going to make up a bunch of rules, just like the Pharisee. This is what Jesus, Jesus had the most terrible things to say about a certain group of people in the New Testament, the first century. Who was it? Religious people. They called Jesus all kind of names. They called him a drunkard. They called him a sinner. But Jesus had some words for them too. Jesus called them sons of hell. Jesus called them a brood of vipers. Who's the serpent of old? Satan. What Jesus is saying there is, you're just children of your father, Satan. He was a liar, and you're liars too. Why did Jesus say that to the most perfect, religious? You know, when you step around a Pharisee, you, you kind of, is my back straight or my shoulders square? God gave 10 commandments in the Old Testament. The Pharisees, religious leaders, came up with a tradition. They found over 600 ways to follow those 10 commands. That's asceticism. That's self-righteousness. I mean, they went so far as when they went to the store to get an ounce of, of dill for their spice cabinet, they would stop by the temple and take 10% of that ounce of dill and tithe it to the, to the temple. And Jesus said, and they would say, look at what I'm doing. I'm a great person. Jesus said, man, I wish, you would, I wish you would focus on the weightier things of the text like you do this minuscule thing that you're doing. To follow Jesus in the world we live in is hard enough, amen? We don't need extra things piled. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're placing heavy yokes on your children that neither you nor your fathers could bear those burdens. Why are you placing it on the next generation? There are going to be some who say dumb things and do dumb things. They're going to forbid marriage. They're going to require abstinence from foods that God created to be received I hope some of you for Mother's Day, man, you got a big fat steak in the fridge marinating right now that you're going to grill up. And just when you put that fatty piece of ribeye in your mouth, <laughs> just say, Lord, I praise you. <laughs> if you're like me, somebody in your family's weird and they're going to be gagging over watching you eat the steak. Just remember... God made all the, when God looked out at it, all he had made, including cows, on the sixth day, he said, behold, it is very good. <laughs> Genesis 1.31. Everything created, verse 4, by God is good, including the human body. Brent, I don't know, toes are weird. And somebody over here is like, I love to suck toes. <laughs> right? People are weirdos, I'm telling you. But what God says when he created us in his image and likeness, very good. The human body is good. Sex is good. When we uh, participate in the way that God has designed us to participate within the context of marriage, covenant, lifelong relationship. 
Man, the joys of the undefiled marriage bed know no bounds. Everything God creates is good. He doesn't, my mom used to have that magnet on our fridge. God don't make no junk. And he doesn't. Everything he made is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 real quick. Verse 16. You're getting a way better sermon than first service. (laughs) Therefore, let no one pass... Have you ever met that Christian that just made you feel like you weren't a Christian? Because you listen to rock and roll. I went to a member's house. They don't come here anymore. But I went to a member's house for pizza one night. And so he and I jumped in the car. You know, we got there. We met. And then he and I jumped in the car to go pick up the pizza. And, uh, and in the car, you know, he had on Petra or Striper or some old Christian band. And so you know, I was singing along because I know all that stuff. And. And he was like, yeah, what do you like to listen to? And I was like, oh, you know, I like Pink Floyd, Pearl Jam, Grateful Dead. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I like. If I'm in a good mood and I'm driving with the windows down, it's going to be Grateful Dead. If I'm at home and I just want something to listen to, and I like real mood. My, my, my wife hates my music. She's like, all your music is sad. And I'm like, I'm an introvert. It's what I like. I like to be sad. <laughs> Just let me sit in a corner and be moody. (laughs) What was I talking about? Oh, I'm driving with this guy. And he's like, I only listen to Christian music. I was like, oh, that's cool. He was like, yeah. He's like, I just decided I really wanted to go all in and just worship the Lord in everything I do. I'm like, yeah, how's going number two in the bathroom working for you? Is that holy? I actually, I, what I said to him was, I'm sorry you can't enjoy good music. <laughs> we can, self-righteousness leads us to judgmentalism. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of what you eat or what you drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath, modern day translation, we have a Christmas tree, Santa Claus comes to our house while we worship Jesus, we do Easter eggs for fun, we put money in it, the kids love it, it's fun. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you for these things. These are a shadow. Those things aren't the point anyway. Your eyes are off of Christ and on to other things. A shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. There's our word. And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Here's the thing. We all know the charismatics are weird, right? Have you ever been to a service and they're falling on the floor and flopping like a fish out of water? And you're like, what chapter and verse is that in? It's not in there, (laughs) right? They're speaking in tongues to each other and laughing like they understand what they're saying, right? 
puffed up. Uh, let's all sit in a circle and light some incense and let me, I'll read your palms in the name of the Holy Spirit. Right? Weirdos. But the reformed fall into the same categories, just in different ways. Just as fleshly, just as weird. With our dress codes and our big wooden pulpits and, and all the things we've taken from tradition that we've made gospel things that aren't gospel things at all. Heavy yokes we place on God's free people. Verse 19, not holding fast to the head. How do we get off on these tangents? How, how can we forbid marriage or having sex within marriage except for procreation like the weirdo hill people? They'll play with snakes, but they're not going to have sex. How do we fall into this? We take our eyes off Jesus. That's how we fall into this superstitions superstitions Lord Jesus free your people to be your people free of superstition free of man-made traditions and legalities that don't come from God's word or even if they do come from God's word are taken out of context Right? There's a reason we don't wash feet in this church. But Jesus said, wash feet. So why don't we do it? Because we understand what Jesus was talking about culturally. We don't wash feet because we don't live in a society where we all wear open-toe shoes and walk on dirt streets. Part of the customs of the day was to wash feet before they reclined at a table because their feet would have been dirty. So how do we execute the right meaning of the passage? In serving one another. In lowering ourselves, thinking of the needs of others, and serving the way that Jesus served his disciples. You can take, don't find that one verse and create a whole new theology. Don't write a 200-page book on it. And don't start another church across the street. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the head, the point. We'll do it on verse 21. we got to hurry. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed, look here, here. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom. It sounds right. Hey, we're going to go to the mall every Wednesday. And we're just going to ask strangers if we can wash their feet. Jesus said to wash feet. Sounds holy. Sounds pious. Sounds reasonable. The appearance of wisdom. But all it does really is promotes self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The antinomians have the same problem the ascetics have. Flesh. They feed their flesh from sin. These people over here feed their flesh from piety. Neither have any value. Our eyes leaving the head, Christ and his gospel. Back to 1 Corinthians 7. 
So what does Paul say to these people? Well, they're expecting applause from Paul. Look how holy we are. We think you shouldn't have sex at all under any circumstances. Paul's got a word for them. You need a word from the Lord this morning, husbands and wives? Paul's got a word. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, what's the problem? Sexual immorality is still the problem. Some people go too far in trying to answer the problem. What is the gospel answer to the problem of sexual immorality? Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Woo! (laughs) Marriage is the answer for the sin of sexual immorality. Let's read verses 3 through the beginning of verse 5. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. That means sex. (laughs) And likewise, the wife to her husband. Ladies, you should like this just as much as the men do. I used to say in marriage conferences, when you go to the cookie jar and two people put their hands in, both people get a cookie. We really aren't Baptists around here, are we? (laughs) For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In marriage, in the marriage bed, right, we are to serve one another through the gift of sex that God has given us. Look at the beginning of verse five. Do not deprive one another. I was in a counseling session one time. We'd been working for six months and I thought we were getting somewhere until the guy uh, told me, he said, Brent, we haven't haven't had uh, sexual relations in six months. I was like, well, no wonder your marriage sucks. (laughs) What's wrong with you? But here's, and listen, parents, listen to me. When I had the talk with my boys, Sarah has to talk with the girls, but when our kids turn 11, we have the talk. And in both the talks with James David and with Briar, when they were 11 years old, the first thing I told them was, you are going to love sex. That's how I started the conversation. Because what happened in my generation, and the church didn't mean to, their motives were good, but the church, when I grew up, tried to scare us, I'm going to scare you straight. (laughs) They put the fear of God into us about sex, or tried to, and what happened? I got a whole, my generation is a whole generation of sexually frustrated marriages, people who think because they were taught sex is bad, sex is dirty. So there are people in marriage who, when sex occurs, they feel bad, they feel guilty, they feel dirty, even though they're not doing anything wrong because of bad teaching, the doctrine of demons. Let God free you from guilt in the marriage bed. It is pure, it is holy, it is glorious. It is to to be for pleasure and joy, but also for the purpose of procreation. It's a beautiful gift that God has given. Don't teach your kids that it's not a gift. When it is, don't tell your kids sex. Don't try to scare them into not having sex. 
Teach them the gospel. The Holy Spirit will lead them. The Holy Spirit will guide them, amen? I mean, if you can't trust the Lord for that, don't, don't teach bad theology because you're scared they're going to do something. Because you're hurting them. You're hurting their future spouse. God doesn't want that. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another except perhaps, underline it, perhaps, by agreement, both couples, or both people have to agree, both couples. <laughs> Back to chapter 6. Flee sexual immorality. Should I just pray and let's go? I want to I help single people. Let's get to verse 6. Perhaps by agreement, the man and the female, the woman in the committed lifelong marriage, should both agree, perhaps for a limited time, to, to abstain that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again. So let me ask you a question. Is fasting a good thing? Yes. Is it a spiritual discipline? Yes. Should we practice fasting in our Christian lives? Yes. Jesus did. Paul did. The disciples did. Uh, we're told to fast at times. It's good to push a plate back and deny this strong flesh that we all have. And I have fasted uh, food before. I have fasted media and screens before because that's one of my things. I love to escape into a movie or something like that. So sometimes you have to push that back and devote that time to prayer. But by God's grace, I've never fasted this. <laughs> and if Sarah brings it up, I will not agree. Now, if some of you, there, seriously, about five years ago, a guy came up to me. I was like, why don't we ever talk about this verse? And he started writing a book on fasting sex. And he wanted to know what I thought about it. And I just thought, man, I'm glad God didn't tell me to write a book about that. <laughs> By the way, that guy's no longer married. <laughs> True story. Perhaps. You don't have to. This is not a command. You don't have to do this. Unless both of you want to. Hey, let's take this week and just pray in the mornings or in the evenings or after a shower or whenever your schedule looks like. Let's take that time and pray together. It's fine to do that, but you don't have to praise the Lord. And if you do, remember, it shouldn't be that long of a time. You got to come back together. Why? Because Satan's ready to pounce. Satan's ready to tempt you. You will fall into sexual immorality if you don't engage in the gift that God has given you and your spouse. It's good. It's a gift. Use the gift. Now, single people, as ushers, if you'll go ahead and come, we're going to partake in communion together. But now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. Why can't Paul make this a command? Because it would be self-righteous to do so. Paul's got a way that he lives his life. He wishes everybody would be like him, but he can't make it a command because marriage is a good thing that God has given. I wish that all were as I myself am. What is Paul? Single. How did Paul do more than any other of the disciples in the New Testament church? 
He had the time. You know, I was with uh, Abby this week. She graduated from high school this week. Proud of her. She also graduated with an associate's degree in general studies from Tacoa Falls College. So we drove up into the mountains. We had this whole two-day thing planned. We rented a cabin up there uh, and drove up there. We're, and, and then we find out the, the, the final games for volleyball were Saturday early in the morning. So we had to leave a day early and come back, right? Families bring responsibility. Paul doesn't have any, which is why he can walk three weeks up into the mountains and, and preach it at some town, the gospel, and start a church. Paul says, I wish everybody was like me. So, so for all the, the married men and women in this room, you're like, just hurry up and say amen. We got to go home. I love this sermon. But some of the single people are like, what am I supposed to do this afternoon? <laughs> Enjoy the gift that God has given you. Look what Paul says. Look, I wish everybody was like me with nothing but time to serve the Lord. But each has his own gift. Paul considers his singleness. How many of you have ever been? I would say, how many of you have ever been single? Stand up, but don't. Because all, we've all been single at, at one time or another. Some of you are still single. Some of you may be single in your 30s, 40s. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a gift. You don't have uh, the responsibilities that, that married people with families have. So you have more time to devote yourself the way Paul did. See your sin. It's okay to pray for a spouse. It's okay to desire marriage. But understand, singleness, just like marriage, is a gift from the Lord. Enjoy the gift and the place that God has you, wherever you may find yourself. Because each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of the other. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we love your word. Thank you for not leaving us to try to figure this thing out. You've given us everything we need. May your Holy Spirit help us to rightly divide the word of your truth. And Lord, for those single men and women in this room, may they enjoy their singleness this afternoon as they uh, enjoy their, their mothers. Father, may all the, the married people, in this room, may they enjoy the gift of marriage that you have given them. And Lord Jesus, regardless where we find ourselves, may we uphold your word in all that we are and in all that we do. It is in Jesus' name every Christian said, amen.